Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 10 of the No Limits podcast. Glad that you're able to join us again for another interesting conversation with a super interesting guest. Today's show sponsor is Tangle Free Waterfowl, makers of the finest and toughest waterfowl bags, blinds, accessories, and decoys you can find on planet Earth. If you guys are like me, you get tired of throwing your money away every other year replacing gear. Your gear is an investment, not a commodity. You need to make sure that there is an ample return on every investment that you make. And that is exactly how Tangle Free approaches the research, development, and customer support of every product they make. Regardless of whether you hunt mallards in green timber, geese in the prairies or ag fields, or coastal ducks in the marshes, Tangle Free can make your hunt more efficient, economical, and enjoyable. So go to tanglefree.com today. Check out the vast offerings of the tools of our trades. And because you are a No Limits podcast listener, you'll get free shipping site-wide. When you enter the promo code PASSION at checkout, go to tanglefree.com, enter the promo code PASSION at checkout, and they will give you free shipping. Uh, support the brands that support this show. Go to tanglefree.com today. My guest today is Ryan Bodwam. Ryan is a Marine combat veteran, a talented photographer, videographer, outfitter, and guide. You've probably seen him on the Pursuit Channel program, The Den, as well as his brand new show on Pursuit Channel, Backcountry Traditions, which will air April 1st, just a day or two away at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, He has a very interesting Instagram page under Ryan the Buddha showing images that he has captured from all over the planet, literally all over the planet. Uh, He's a gloriously bearded, tattooed, savage Marine, and we had a super interesting conversation. We talked about his deployment to Iraq as a Marine Corps infantryman, infantryman, easy for me to say, to, uh, to Baghdad. We talk about how his experiences, his experience in losing brothers in combat, impacted his faith and how he was able to find his path back to a relationship with God. We had a really interesting, interesting discussion about filming and living in Africa and how that experience really reopened his eyes to the world around him that God created. Uh, He filled me in on the nuances of rugby and the post-game etiquettes that follow a game where you seemingly run around and knock the crap out of guys all over the pitch. They don't call it a field. They call it a pitch. So, roger that. Uh, let's just say there was more to it than I knew. Uh, we talk about filming a sea duck hunt in the Bering Sea, turkey hunts in Texas, a turkey hunt in Baghdad. Yes, that's right. Sharp tails in Michigan. The guy has done it all, almost. There's still one more hunt that is on his bucket list, and we would not mind at all to be a stowaway on that hunt. Uh, He's getting ready to be a new father, and I promise his son will have the baddest African safari room mini man cave ever. Uh, We talk about that. I had an absolute blast sitting down with Ryan and digging into a lot of the different topics. Some of them were difficult to discuss. Others were funny. Uh, but all of them were super interesting. So without further ado, please welcome to the No Limits Podcast, Mr. Ryan the Buddha Bodwin. All right, all right. 
I'm good. You sound good, man. I feel good. <laughs> feel good. Feel like a savage. So, um, I do not feel like a savage because I just got finished working out. I feel like a big pile of crap. Um, I started on that Mountain Tough program. Have you seen that on Instagram? The Mountain no, Tough I haven't. Guys? Oh, man. Um, it's a really, really cool online format. Um, they do a lot of up and down mountain like sheep hunts and things like that. Um, one guy is um, ex-Army Ranger. Another guy is an ex-SEAL. And they started this online program where you just you follow it. They got a really cool mix of calisthenics mixed with resistance and weight mixed with uh, cardio, just like supersets of each. And it just destroys you, bro. I mean, those mountain hunts are no joke. I, I laugh when people contact me. I, I want to do an elk hunt or I want to do a mountain goat hunt. I'm like, I'll you look sure? at their picture and I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. They send you their body. You're like, bro, you're going to have to lose about 150 before we do that. I mean, even even living in the Midwest, I mean, I'm a flatlander and going yeah. to do mountain lion hunts. I mean, even following the hounds. I mean, I hate running, but... If you're yeah. not training, no matter how hard you, hard you train, you're you're not ready when you get there. So yeah, dude, floor sweepers and burpees are brutal. Oh, gross. Oh, but I'm telling you, <laughs> you still train though, right? Oh, I'm just a big gym guy. Gym rat. Oh yeah, you look yeah. like it. I went twice today because with the baby coming Friday, I know I'm. I think my hands are gonna be tied for a few days. Friday is the day. Baby boy, right? Baby boy. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thank you, sir. But training, man, talk about um, – I wanted to just kind of start off with, um, you know, you're obviously a combat vet. Um, I wanted to start off with uh, Marine Corps vet. Um, when did you enlist? Where did you go to boot camp? Just kind of take us through that whole part of your life. Well, I enlisted in uh, 1999 as a uh, junior in high school. And I started drilling with a reserve unit uh, as a senior and didn't go to boot camp until the summer of 2000. Um, went to San Diego. That's where my grandfather was a uh, World War II uh, Pacific, Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Peleliu vet. Uh, so right he went that. to boot camp in uh, San Diego. So, you know, you got family tradition there. You, you follow oh, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now your MOS uh, infantryman. It, uh, it that's what I wanted to be. You know, it, yeah. it it seems like the you know people make fun of the grunts as being stupid, crayon eaters, especially the Marines. And yeah, I've never met just a bigger cross section of guys with you know different abilities. Right. As grunts. Yeah. Yeah. What unit and division? Second uh, Battalion, Twenty Fourth Marines. Fourth uh, Marine Division. Yeah. So you joined in what was the year again? Ninety nine. Ninety nine. Um, talk about when did you get out of boot? Where did you go after that? Well, I got out of boot camp. I went to school at uh, University of Wisconsin in Madison, and was there. Uh, well, basically, not knowing what to do with my life. Just kind of biding my time until the, those planes hit September 11th. Um, I lived with another Marine, and I remember being in the shower, and he came knocking on the door, and he's like, hey, man, 
what are you doing? And I was like, uh, showering, bro. (laughs) And he, and then like the gravity in his voice, he's like, I think you need to come look at the TV and like right now. So I came into the living room, um, with a towel wrapped around my waist and I, I watched the second plane hit. Yeah. And I looked right at him. I said, you want to go to the liquor store? (laughs) Cause we're going to war, bro. I have no idea who did this, why they did it. I just know that we're going to war and, Pretty much from 2002. Didn't you kind of know, though? I mean, I, mean, I, I know I, I did. I, I, per- I watched the second plane hit, too. I had a pretty good know. idea of yeah. that it was, you know, yeah. Islamic extremist. Yeah. Um, I mean, which we found out relatively shortly after. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much since that day, I, I mean, I was on again, off again, active duty, and then did one deployment in 2004 and 2005 in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And um, my time was up as soon as I got back. Hmm. Where in Iraq did you serve? Uh, We deployed to Babel province, Mm -hmm. which was just south of Baghdad and just east of Anbar, Mm -hmm. um, smack in the middle of the triangle of death, so to say. And... um, I mean, we were there. Oh four and oh five is probably the the worst time to go, if or the best time, no matter what you look at it. I mean, it was action packed. I mean, we definitely got into it, and we you don't sign up for the infantry to Mm-mm. to go hand out cookies and and yeah. shake hands. It was. Um, I mean, we we were there for the second battle of Fallujah. Didn't go into the city proper, but I mean, our area picked up big time during that because I mean, once they had kind of told the people get out you know this battle's coming some of the smarter ones started operating real close to us Mm -hmm. what um what are some of your memories of them i mean war is the the best and worst thing to ever happen to me it's the best Mm -hmm. because you know I, i wouldn't be anywhere the human being I am today without being able to look back and go on like I survived that and some of my brothers didn't and if I don't absolutely squeeze every ounce out of life I'm doing them a disservice Hmm. I mean it's I would do it again and do it again and do it again even knowing what I know yeah you, you can't take that, that. I mean, no matter what I do in life, you can't take that from me. There's something about um, fighting for the guy to the left of you and fighting to the guy for the right of you that so many people will never, ever, ever understand. I just did a, a chapter in a book that my company commander is writing. Um, he's doing it individually. Um, and one of the questions he asked is, you know, what changed when you got there and you know i'm still a patriotic person i love my country um when you get there that doesn't really matter and Mm -hmm. it it matters getting getting the job done killing bad guys and getting every single guy you can possibly get home and you know so i guess i was more of a flag waver then now and now i'm just a, a patriotic person that um, yeah. 
shies away from from politics and arguments. I get along with people that I'm completely different from. Um, I tend to enjoy the different cultures and different people in America more now than I did before. Hmm. It's interesting, man. You know, a lot of like when we're at a football game or whatever, or even any place where um, the Star Spangled Banners play. I can't sing it without crying. I can't. It's just, and, you know, some people just never understand that. Um, it's it's deeper than patriotism. Um, it is just, a, when and especially, man, like when you see how other people in other parts of the country live, uh, you really, really begin to understand how absolutely blessed you are to live in this country and you know the shit that people complain about um here <laughs> you just look at it like really bro oh, the, the wi-fi is down oh poor baby oh you know <laughs> they didn't have my starbucks was out of whatever it is that starbucks runs out of or you know whatever traffic's bad really yeah I've seen some traffic jams that you don't want to be in so um, I did. My wife, uh, geography is not her her strong suit. She she definitely makes up for it in many other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but trying to explain to her and and my stepdaughters, you know, like how the other people live. It, it you know, when when a six year old's throwing a tantrum over uh, an ice cream cone, it's hard for me to like look at her reference level. <laughs> You know, I'm like, yeah, there's a totally different <laughs> perspective there, right? I mean, <laughs> but one of the things, like, um, I know you lost some brothers there, right? Yeah, we got we got chewed up pretty good. Um, and and that's something that um, what did what did that shake within you, and just you look at that and you go why i mean you know you hear the thing about like survivor's guilt and uh, you know i don't, don't want to bring everybody down in the first like 10 minutes of the podcast but it's it's important i mean those kind of experiences what did that shake your faith i mean it, it had to impact you well i mean it, it turned me away from from god pretty strong mm-hmm. um when i first got back I, you know why would you know, a guy with kids die. Why not me? Because, you know, here I am 25 and pretty much spent the first couple of years back home in the bottom of a rum bottle. And, you know, like, why, why not me? Cause I'm not doing anything. Uh, you know, why, why the, you know, the, only the good die young type thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it really pushed me away from it. Mm-hmm. And I struggled and, and I, I struggled for a long time with, with, uh, an individual relationship with God. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I quit church completely and really the outdoors is what opened my eyes again to the, the beauty that we have here on earth mm-hmm. and made me look back at people again, uh, to see the goodness in most people. I mean, I'd, the best days hunting don't have to be when you kill something and yeah, they you know, really like, are. It, I was. I took my my nephew. He's uh, he's five. Took him with me in the turkey blind last year, and it did not go well. 
<laughs> at all. But I had a blast. We're sitting in the blind, and he is bouncing in and out and in and out. And he's sticking his head out the blind window. And I said, Micah, if you don't... <laughs> If you don't sit down and be quiet right now, we're not going to see nothing. And it finally got to the point where I'm like, all right, you know, we tried. And then we hear leaves rustling. And I'm like, okay, game on. Yeah. And he flies out the window of the blind. And he goes, what is that? And I look out, and here's a fisher. And we're we're far enough south in Wisconsin that they barely get them. I mean, they're, they're rare in northern Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And we're in central Wisconsin. And here's a fisher looking right at us. And he beelines into this down through the the ditch and into a, uh, a cornfield um, and into the wood line. And I pull my phone up right away. I hadn't even said nothing to to the kid yet. And I put the volume on full blast on a fisher call. And it, it kind of co- sounds like a fox scream, like a meow, meow. Right. And this thing starts calling back at us and comes into the field. And both of us are sitting there looking at each other, and he's like, what was that? And I said, you are never going to see that again in your entire life. I don't care how hard you hunt, how many times you go. You just saw a fisher. So I texted his mom and my wife back at the campsite. We were camping uh, mm-hmm. with my in-laws. And I was like, we just saw a fisher. And they're like, we thought you were hunting. And I was like, oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but what, I mean, What kind of bait was he using? <laughs> yeah. I mean, just that... To share that experience with him, to see something so rare, that's a win. That, and, yeah. and that's such a cool thing in nature that, I mean, that's, that's God's creation. And um, the, the, when the birds come alive in the morning in, in the marsh, duck hunting, I mean, no. is there anything better? No. That, that, that's where I feel closest. That brought me back from, from kind of turning my back on it. Yeah. Yeah, there's um. So to answer your question, no, there's not anything better than that. Um, because you're you are, one hundred percent duck hunter, waterfowler, right? That my first love. Yeah. Um. You know, yeah. I hunted. My dad never hunted. Um, yeah, mine didn't either. So I had to buy all my shotguns or get stuff secondhand from, uh, you know, neighbors and, um. I deer hunted, and he'd always come with me, and and we had some really good, you know, uh, shared experiences together. Having two people that have no idea what they're doing go out there and just figure it out, right? And then I would go with you know buddies from middle school, and it was more of an opportunistic couple of kids shooting at raccoons and shooting at squirrels, and it wasn't until I went to a, a veterans duck hunt here in Wisconsin. Uh, after I got back home, um, that I had duck hunted a few times, but I wasn't a duck hunter. And the, this is, it's called the Horicon Marsh, uh, veterans oh. duck hunt. Yeah. And 10 years ago, there were six vets. Uh, we take 85 out every year now I'm on the board now. And mm-hmm. that, that flipped a switch in me because duck hunting to me wasn't as much, I mean, when you bang on some ducks and you have a good shoot, awesome. You can take new people. You can take people that aren't duck hunters but hunt. Yeah. And just, you know, pick on each other and, okay, here the birds come. Now now get serious. Yeah. It, it, it's a – there's a social aspect to it and a, a camaraderie, and I mean, that – I don't think you really have in a lot of the other hunting. I don't big game hunt with anybody. I'm solo when I, I go do that. 
Yeah. And and that's that's good too. Um but that's number one, it lends itself so well to like the ministry that we have, uh the Revelation Outdoors ministry, because you're right. I mean there's you can you can talk to guys. I mean, there's a, one of the guy in our in our second episode of season one, of Passion and Pursuit. One of the guys put it just perfectly. He said, "You know, there's a lot of things that come out in a guy's life when it's slow in a duck blind that just never get brought up when it's fast and furious." Right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's just it is such a social. Um, I th- you follow uh, Hipster Woodsman on mm-hmm. Instagram? Yep. Yeah, I think Joseph put it best. He said it's the gentleman's, it's it's kind of the gentleman's hunt, you know, because you think of, like, the guys that would, like the old-timers or whatever, that would, like, go out in their, their canvas and their khakis and, you know, smoking a pipe, and they'd go and have a little, you know, a little toddy back in the camp afterwards <laughs> and cross their legs and tell stories while the dog's asleep by their feet or, you know, what. but it's just, um, it's just this really cool thing where you just get to know a completely different side of people that, and you may be around them your whole life, you know, um, it, it, and part of it too, I think is that, um, somebody asked, you know, what, what is it about? hunting that draws me and and you just touched on it um it is the complete reconnection with a all-knowing all-seeing creator that loves you and created that scene that he put you in at that very moment to experience him um and i think it's the closest that we can get as fallible human beings it's the closest that we can get to what creation was like before the fall of man that's that's any hunting because the deer are the same the ducks are the same the big game is the same the you know the animals are the same as they were when they were created and i just i just feel like and i bet you you do too that the deeper you go into either the back country or you get into a swamp that just gets deeper and darker and darker and you leave those titles and expectations and worries and things that occupy your thoughts um you leave those further and further behind to where it's now it's just you and God now. Absolutely. I mean, it, you get back in some spots. I mean, there's that was a lot, pretty deep, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, that was uh, <laughs> you need to write a book of Proverbs here. Oh, yeah, I know. It's... I mean, you get back into some of these spots and, and in a lot of different states. I mean, you go back to, and you get in spots where like nobody stood here for a long time. And, and this is just, it, you're, yeah. you're in your natural state. Yeah, like I think that too. In the spot where like we we hunt um, a lot of flooded timber in Mississippi, and it's it's national forest or it's you know national wildlife refuge or whatever. And um, so because it's been you know set aside for eighty or ninety years, however long it is, um, nothing has been back there but the occasional bipedal human every now and then i mean there's no roads there's no trails there's no you know it's just and you look at some of these like the big big cypress trees that we hunt by that are you know four or five hundred years old or older and you're like man if these trees could tell me all the things that they have seen what a story that would be right i mean <laughs> absolutely Oh my god, like Indians and, you know, Civil War stuff and just it's just crazy, man, where your mind takes you. 
Um, so you you get out of the core in what two thousand five? Uh, end of 05, beginning of '06. Okay. Uh, then I went back to college, and okay. to be honest, I went to college to uh, drink beer, drink rum, play rugby, and meet loose women. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't have any agenda uh, whatsoever. Uh, I had finding a career. Um, I had, was in no rush, but which was weird because, you know, like, here I am, 26 years old, a, a mm-hmm. freshman, essentially, <laughs> yeah. in classes with 18-year-olds, yeah, yeah. going like, I'm, this is such a waste of time. I was kind of appeasing my parents. Um, yep. What is the major, by the way, to play rugby, drink beer and rum, and rum with loose women? What, what is that major, by the way? History. Yeah, history. There we go. I was going to say business, but yeah. Um, every, it's it's funny because the, the team I was on, everybody's successful now in whatever they do. Um, and we were we were nationally ranked in you know, a Division One rugby program. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we didn't lose a game for a year and a half, and I think – it, there was just a formula of people that were, were built for success because I don't think any of us wanted to grow up. <laughs> and, and when we finally did, right. it was like, all right, we're so far behind the power curve <laughs> <laughs> that we need to do something. You know, we got engineers and doctors and lawyers, and, and it, oh it's just God. it's saying a bunch of meatheads that are yeah. doing well. Um, so I, I finished my history degree and then kind of got smacked in the face with reality, like, okay, now what? And went yeah. back and got a teaching degree. Yeah. And I taught high school in the hood for <laughs> a year. And it was amazing. I mean, it, the kids are great. Um, they just, you know, they need somebody to believe in them. And yeah. they, they're a product of their environment. And home yeah. life isn't great. And I'm, I'm, it's amazing to watch some of these kids that come out of the, such a, uh urban poverty that are doing awesome in life that I check up on a Facebook or run into somewhere and you know like it's just it's just a cool thing yeah yeah you know i gotta ask you something though rugby i started watching it on tv right and i have no idea what i'm looking at i started i I started uh, (laughs) as on a on a a nationally ranked team and my coach is like you have no idea what the rules are and i was like nope and he's like well you just hurt people and i'm like all right (laughs) roger that i can do that Don't touch the ball. Okay, coach. <laughs> but, I mean, it's like these guys are like uh, – what, so what do you call it? That's the scrum, like in the middle where yep. everybody gets together? Yep. Dude, what goes on in that thing? Uh, I mean, if you're, if you're in the front row, um, I mean, you're going to get kicked in the shin a few times. And, um, I mean, you're just it, you're trying to move as a cohesive unit with a bunch of other hairy, smelly dudes, <laughs> big dudes, and – move the pack forward to maintain they're possession big, man oh there's some absolute slobs out there i just look at him like i'd get killed i mean i'm six four, two forty, 240 and in decent shape now and i, I would get destroyed it uh, uh i could I, I can just picture all these guys like they're all at the pub afterwards though Oh, you you gotta you gotta put some beers in you afterwards because you got so many bruises and lumps. That's the coolest part, though. I think is a lot of people don't know um, whether it's collegiate or even high school, um, minus the the beer, um, mm-hmm. or men's league or professional. 
whoever's the host team, uh, when the game is done, uh, the, you host. You're still hosting the other team, so that you you put on a, a spread for them and and get them liquored up and sing songs. Really? And I have never in my life seen a fight at an aftermatch. What happens on the pitch stays on the pitch. It is an unwritten rule that doesn't even need to be enforced because that's crazy. It, it, I mean, a guy that you just got done punching in the mouth and he kicked you. <laughs> it's over. You know, like good battle, mate. You know, leaving on the field, right? And it it just it never happens and. It it, it's kind of got like the warrior ethos to it, you know, like like yeah. it, it's the aftermatch is Valhalla. Yeah, that's awesome. The, the songs that are all Valhalla. PG, of course. Yeah, well, of course they are. It's a PG sport. <laughs> I mean, why would I expect anything else, right? But you know that, like, I love watching it, and you know, like, I'm watching Scotland play. I don't know who, whoever, whatever. Um, and the whole stadium is singing the whole song that you can't understand, by the way. <laughs> and, dude, I just want to be in the middle of Like, it's the same thing at a soccer game. You know, they call it football, but it's the same thing at a soccer game where I just picture, like, 100,000 drunk limeys all singing the same <laughs> song. And I'm like, that's just got to be awesome to be there and experience i mean i don't even like soccer and i don't i don't you know rip it but if i went to you know london and i'd what's their team like the united or something yeah you got a bunch of them i mean yeah there you go i would go to that and in and throw myself into whatever they're doing just to like oh totally all right i'm gonna live this for a day and and do it how they do yeah yeah totally so were you always into photography and videography, though? Like, where did that come from? Well, I started making Because uh, you've got a great movies. eye, dude, I'm telling you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I started making movies. Uh, my senior year in high school, I, I pitched a, a, I wrote up a syllabus and everything, and I pitched it to the administration. It was called Film and Media. And... <laughs> like, as a class? As a class. And I... You know, everybody's got that that one cool teacher, and he sponsored it. And I mean, he was never there. With the The class was done all outside of school, and mm-hmm. you know, this was second semester of senior year and block scheduling. So I got four and classes you got a day. For it? Yeah, I got credits for it. Sweet. I had one class. I had, I think I had calculus. <laughs> Fourth period, but and I, I was had... a math major in school too. So, Whoa. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a study hall. I had an independent study. I had that class, and then I had calculus. So, I, three quarters of the day, we were making movies. With the content was probably pushing envelopes, even <laughs> for modern standards. I mean, we, right. They're all comedies that had really edgy um, subject matter. And mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, there's still people that are much younger than me from my hometown. I go up there, they're like, I saw your movie the other day. And I was like, oh boy. <laughs> I was like, they still show that? And I was like, oh no. But, oh man. I, you know, I, I started doing that. And I, that was back in the day with analog paddles and VHS. And oh, um, yeah. I mean, it, it was pretty primitive equipment and just took a liking to it. I actually thought about going into film out of high school and my father um 
I like to compare him to Red Foreman uh, from that '70s show. I mean, uh-huh. it, he looked at me. He's like, "So what? You're gonna move to LA and be a waiter, you dumbass?" You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, he never discouraged me from doing anything. I think he was giving me a pretty solid dose of reality. It, uh, if I look back at it, I would have moved out there, and you either make it huge or you don't. And I probably would have flopped and been a waiter in Sunset Boulevard and (laughs) and then end up moving home like half the other people that move out to LA and um, I wasn't ready for it yet and that probably wasn't my niche and photography didn't come until uh, after I was done teaching I I worked for the federal government an agency that will remain unnamed um, Mm -hmm. in a cubicle and yikes Eight years I stuck it out. I mean, the the compensation was very good. I was the most oppressed I've ever been in my entire life. Uh, I lost my parents two months mm-hmm. apart to cancer. I've been just sitting in this cubicle, hating life. And finally, I, I left and I picked up a camera and I told some of my, you know, relatives some of my uncles some of my, one of my dad's brothers and he's like you know your dad would call you a dumbass for doing this and i was like yeah yeah <laughs> but i'm not yeah. happy so i picked up a camera started posting pictures on facebook um i mean i look at back at some of those pictures now and whoo but i mean like you said the, the eye is there yeah. and i always had that it, yeah but having no idea what i'm doing i literally went back to school but youtube college right i taught myself everything off youtube and it like if there was a technique like capture a waterfall a certain way or capture birds in flight just study all these different people that were posting stuff on how to do it um and learning and buying better equipment and in four months time i mean i was rolling at it full time and selling Mm. prints and I didn't incorporate hunting at all. I just, I love taking pictures of ducks in the spring and uh, do hit national parks. And I was starting to build a, a little following um, with off the grid photography page. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until um, Patrick Cummings was an acquaintance via Facebook. I mean, I'd started adding other duck hunters and other hunters just at random from forums, comments they would make that I thought was funny or somebody I would, you know, get along with. So me and Pat right. just knew each other through through Facebook and he was guiding he's from Michigan, but he's guiding Rios down in Texas. So I booked a hunt with him and he calls me up like two weeks out. Did I lose you there? No. I'm okay, here. something happened on the computer. He calls me up two weeks out from the hunt and says Hey, uh, you know, I know how awesome your photography is. Do you know how to film? And I was like, not a clue, but, you know, <laughs> let's do it. And yeah. he's like, well, I just got, you know, kind of put on this team that's vying for a position on Pursuit Channel. And you come down, you know, let's make it, you know, 10, 12 days instead of coming down and shooting your birds and leaving. Guide a little bit, or no, film a little bit. Didn't say anything about guiding until I was about at the Missouri border, he calls. And says, "Hey, have you guided before?" And I said, oh, uh, "I've taken people." He goes, "Good, we're short of man. You're going to guide." If you want to see film. a fisher? I can take you and do that, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I head down there. I head down to Texas, and uh, within a day in camp, 
Uh, they oh, introdu- that's a long way to think about that. Man. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I haven't even killed a Rio Grande turkey yet. I mean, I've, I've smacked some Easterns, but yeah. they introduced me to my first client, and he's in his mid-60s, retired, definitely uh, well-to-do. Um, I mean, in Texas, there's not a lot of public land, so it's pay-to-play. So these guys are basically paying for access to the land, but with, mm-hmm. with your payment, you get a guided hunt. Mm-hmm. So I talked to this gentleman, and he said, or I said, okay, you know, I, I think I got him figured out, and I'm lying through my teeth. And I said, we're going to go out tomorrow, and we'll, we'll get you one. And he's telling me, you know, like, he's pretty accomplished. He wants to see what I'm going to do first, and okay, oh, fine. Boy. So we get in the truck in the morning, and we're driving to the spot. He's like, so how long have you been doing this? I said, oh, you know, a while. <laughs> I'm like, man, we better shoot Just a bird. don't ask me what this is. <laughs> yeah. Because you're probably scratching your ass at the time. How long have you been doing that? A long time. Yeah. <laughs> and we get in, and I had picked the brain of the oldest guy in camp the night before. And I said, you know, what do I do different from Easterns to Rios? And he said, and he was, I mean, old Texan. He said, boy, you hate, if you yelp too hard, that boss hand gone. He said it just like that. Yeah. And I said, all right. I said, you know, just purrs? And he's like, yeah, purrs and little cuts. And he goes, real soft. And he said, it's going to sound like they're miles away and they're on top of you. So I listened to what he said. I got the guy that thinks I've been guiding my whole life. We sit down, and I'm just, you know, just soft, soft. And he's like, I think you need to yelp at him. And I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> Haven't I told you I've been doing this a while? Trust your guide. And they start... They just start, you know, the, they're going off. The, the toms are just firing off after a while. And I said, I think we got to move on them. And he goes, okay, okay. And we move, and we get into this little grove. He gets down. I'm still calling. We literally have two toms. I mean, the wad probably didn't even open up. That's how close they are. You could, you could feel the vibrations of the drumming of the tom. Yeah, just yeah. <laughs> You feel it in your chest. And I was like, all right, shoot them both. And he goes, well, I just want to shoot one. And I said, well, you paid for two. <laughs> and he goes, okay. And I'm like, whatever. And he pops up. And he, he could have wasted both of them. Um, he shoots one. And we walk up and go get it. And I put my hand on his shoulder. And I said, uh, sir, i got to be honest with you. I've been doing this for 15 minutes. I haven't even killed a reel myself yet. <laughs> and he looks at me. He's like, well, you did a pretty damn good job. <laughs> So went down there, guided, and started videoing, and, and the rest just kind of exploded from there. I mean, it became, a, you know, back when I, you know, I was talking about not having my niche in a, in a Hollywood essence, mm-hmm. but film was my niche, but photography, filming, guiding, uh, you know, taking pictures of people's, uh, you know, birds or deer or whatever they shoot for them, and, and just started building a... A, a, a public profile of this is what I do. I show up, you know, you run a, you run an outfit. I'm going to hunt something. We're going to film something. We're going to photo everything. And then you're going to get exposure. And it's kind of just, just exploded from there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I trolled your Instagram page pretty good. Um, so obviously glorious beards and wildlife <laughs> photography are your passion. <laughs> Same with me, by the way. Um, 
But the one thing that I was struck by is all the different locations you've been able to travel to hunt, to film, and photograph. Um, is that from, I mean, basically what you've just told me? I mean, that's because I look at not only in the United States, but, I mean, all over the place. I mean, in the beginning, um, you know, coming from that Texas hunt, I got in with whoever would take me. Mm-hmm. And then it expanded into people contacting me. And now it's kind of like I go where I want to go and what I haven't done yet. And, mm-hmm. and it's all from being, you know, like being able to have that, that audience for is what gets outfitters interested and being able to put them out. I mean, social media, I mean, you look at, look at the word media, you've got your film and photos I and mean, that's what everybody is driving business from. So if you can do yeah. that for them and they get whatever following you already have, I mean, you're, it's, it's awesome cross promotion. Because you've been kind of almost all over the world doing it now. Uh, Africa, twice, um, with mm-hmm. Rafiki Safaris. Um, I got there as a paying client and killed four animals in two days. And the owner, John Falls, like, who is this dude? <laughs> yeah. And, he, and then he started. I started breaking down to him, you know, how this goes down. And he's like, you want a job? And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now I book for him and um, have been over there in the last year. Um, but a year what and was a- that like though? Africa. Oh, I mean, dude, it's it's not even just being in Africa; it's the whole experience. I mean, I fly out of Chicago when I fly international, so I fly mm-hmm. Chicago to Istanbul, and mm-hmm. I hang out in Istanbul for nine hours eating foods that I have no idea what, that I just point at. I'm like, give me that. And, yeah, you know, meeting people from all over the world. You know, meeting a guy that's Russian Spetsnaz at a bar in in Dubai, and you know, <laughs> traveling with uh, the last trip I I went to Africa. The woman that sat next to me, Wizzy is her name, and we've maintained friendship since then. Um, she was flying to Zimbabwe, and what struck me with her was how global intelligence she is or and what she knew about the world and like just multiple different facets she was just very well-rounded human being right and she was into film too and so we get into johannesburg she takes off to to zimbabwe and we're there for two days and robert mugabe the dictator is overthrown in zimbabwe and the light bulb goes on i'm like this lady was exiled (laughs) She was going oh. back because she knew it was going down, and she was going to be there to capture it. And and gotcha. and just I mean that's I'm not even in Africa yet, and you're meeting people like that. Um, you know, it's crazy. But being in Africa itself, I mean, you get in Johannesburg and you drive through, uh, you know, uh, some of the the more urban parts, and then when you start mm-hmm. getting out into the bush, I mean. There's just so much game and there's and diversity of, of species. And, you know, it's not a deer crossing sign. It's a warthog crossing sign or a kudu crossing sign. You're like, this is so cool. Mm. <laughs> you know, like baboons mm. are playing on the side of the road. And you do all that shit will kill you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't got to the snakes and the spiders yet. You know, 
and, and you get into this concession and you know in iraq i lived under a bridge for seven months <laughs> and, and, yeah. and we get into this concession and it is world class i mean the pool and marble carvings and i oh, mean man. and i'm looking at uh, John, I'm like, uh, this is too nice for me. You got to shack up back, you know. Like, no doubt. And he's like, no, man, you, you, this is this is where we stay. And I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm usually kind of a slug getting out of bed. But mm-hmm. both times I was there, I, I was up before anybody got up, and I would pour whatever South African coffee they had, and I would stand in the courtyard with the boabab trees and the birds coming alive. And our property didn't have them, but the concession next to us had lions. Mm-hmm. And this is this is miles away, but the the pride would roar every morning at dawn. And I would sit there and drink coffee, and I'm like, "This is this is awesome." And then I would call my brother and be like, "Hey, what are you doing today?" Yeah, <laughs> and he's like working. Guess what I'm doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm listening to lions right now. He's like, "I don't even want to hear it." But that that's gotta like restoke that yeah god i know that you're there i mean th- there's there's things that have happened in your life there's things that have happened in my life that i had to look back and say okay rather than me turning my back um and saying you know why did you make this happen why don't i look at it as okay i know that you're there and the real question is am i faithful enough to follow you through anything like anything that can happen. I just go back to Job because I did a men's study on Job. And I don't know. We had TJ Unger um, on the podcast mm-hmm. not too long ago. And his story was kind of the same. Um, and it was through that men's study in Job that he and I really got connected. And that whole study is just about, yeah, man, some pretty shitty things are going to happen to you in life. And you need to, you need to realize that, God is not the author of just sin and evil and everything else. And what what the real test is, um, can you can you follow him faithfully through anything that happens? And man, once you get to that point and you answer honestly to yourself and you go to some place like Africa and you hear a pride of lions like wake the world up and roar in the morning you're like god is so awesome absolutely it's so awesome dude it it, i looked at it you know i'm I'm sitting there and this is probably like the third morning and i'm drinking my coffee and the birds are coming alive the sunrise which is i mean the sunrises in south africa unreal dude i can't even imagine and the lions are roaring and I'm like, what did I do to deserve this? And like, yeah. a lot of people, when I meet them, are like, "Oh, it must be nice." Like, like, like this life was just handed to me, and it, sometimes it gets yeah. me mad. But instead of looking at it from what did I do to deserve this, I've kind of flipped that and said, "What can I do now to be gracious and and to show my gratitude for the opportunities I've had and the things I've gotten to see and experience?" and yeah. It's really kind of made me, you know, point my moral compass back north because, mm. you know, you can go back to rugby. I wasn't the best human being <laughs> I could be. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I beat people up. Uh, I ran with loose women. And, 
it, I lived in and out of bars and, and a bottle when I wasn't in a bar and, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for God yet, but yeah. after pretty much somehow getting to where I'm at and being able to do these things now, yeah. it, now it's kind of made me like, how do I do it for others? Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. So you've been all over the world pretty much. And, and I'll drop the link to your, uh, to your page in the show notes so that, you know, people listen to the podcast, they can see what I'm talking about. I think one of my favorite pictures, uh, one of my favorite stills, and I think it's on Instagram. You may have three or four in the same post, but is the tight shot of the eyes of that Ram. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh dude. That was, uh, that was in, uh, Hill city, South Dakota. I don't know where it was, but that is a, just a freaking awesome shot. Just the the, the geometrical perspective, it, it, like it just, yeah. I like to get the detail. That's what I was going to ask. What what do you look for? Like I talked to some guys, like Joseph Edwards, a hipster woodsman. He said he looks for lines. Like he's really a linear guy. Um, and I guess I didn't pick up on it until he said it. Then I went back and looked at some of his stuff. And yeah, there's. Like you can see how he sees lines, and he's a big depth of field guy. Mm-hmm. Um, another guy that's self-taught, Brian Dryden, who films for us, self-taught. Um, you know, you just you have a vision of what you want to see, and you just keep working until you get it. Um, but what what do you like? Joseph looks for lines. Like what what do you look for that really catches your eye? I mean, ducks being my my. You know, not only favorite thing to hunt, favorite thing to photograph. Um, there's so much. The, the, you can take seven or eight pictures of one duck, and the iridescent colors are different in every one, just depending on the sunlight. So I just like to, to highlight, you know, if you get a, <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. a golden eye that's plumed out, he could be bright blue in one the the darkest green in another and purple in the next one and I, I really like to get the the detail of the feathers and, and the and the, the different colors popping yeah I, I i don't know how many times you know like you talk to people that aren't duck hunters or even don't know anything oh, oh a duck is a mallard right like they have no idea that there's so many different species and yeah that's it <laughs> And sure my are. stepdaughters, this is so cool. <laughs> um, have you seen it when a Hooded Merganser is doing his mating dance? Mm-hmm. Where he kicks his head back and eeeh. Mm-hmm. So, we'll, I mean, we're getting about the time now where we're starting to get our ducks back. They're, they're plumed out. They're ready to mate. That turns my wife on when I do that. <laughs> <laughs> you just, I'll, I'll try that later. <laughs> um, That's how I hurt my neck, man. <laughs> It's doing a merganser mating <laughs> ritual, yeah. but we were uh, we'll, we'll bounce from like you know ditch pond, uh, flooded cornfield uh, when the ducks are coming back, and you know Madison's point. That's a greenhead. That's a merganser, and the two girls are rocking around the house and kicking their heads back. And I'm like, this is so cool, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah, no doubt. They're starting to be able to pick out species, and that, and I mean, it, <laughs> I was thirty before I. 
had a pretty good idea of what was going on. So did, let me ask this. Did anything like super gnarly happen in Africa? Because like I said, man, that place will kill you. Like you can die hunting anywhere. That place will kill you. I had a Cape Buffalo encounter that was probably um, too close for most people's comfort. I mean, the pucker factor was high. We had a cow uh, run. Sun's going down. We're at the end of the day. We're actually walking back to the, to the, the truck, uh, me and the PH, and... Cow Cape Buffalo comes running across, and the PH looks at me. He's like, oh, boy. <laughs> and I'm like, you're not supposed to say that. Oh, boy. Mm. And he's like, look for the bull. But he was thinking with his uh, his other head, and he took off after mm. her. But he came storming right across the road. And I'm like, that was that was legit. <laughs> like, the, Cape Buffalo kill 200 people a year, and they don't just kill them. They don't just gore them. The bosses on the, on their horns. They will grind you to a pulp. When someone gets killed by a Cape Buffalo, they find bloody piles of clothes, and that's it. Like it it's closed casket. I mean, that, mm. they send you home in a, in a Tupperware jar. <laughs> <laughs> that's so nice. Um, I've watched some of those, like some of the old, you know, the, like the legit, show sure enough, old-time hunting shows, like when... I feel like early, like maybe late seventies, early eight, like when the hunting shows just kind of started to come out, mm-hmm. and you had like Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, and that's it. Yeah, um, those that like the guys that would just stand there and stare them down, and wait to either that or an elephant or something like that. Like these guys got balls the size of a truck. Well, that, that that's kind of frowned upon now amongst the PH world, and and I think I think it should be known to people that haven't experienced Africa. The uh, PH being a professional hunter, these guys are so good at what they do, and the competition to get into the school is so tough. Um, I mean, mm. they're very very educated, um, and and it. it it's not taken as a joke. You're not hiring a guide off the street. Um, You're not hiring a guide that said he's been doing it for a little while, and you find out he's been doing it for 15 minutes. <laughs> I deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> These guys, I mean, they can look at a kudu and, and be within an inch. I mean, through through a, a spotting scope of, of how high, how you know how high their horns are, how long their horns are. I mean, the, their tracking ability makes you feel like a really pathetic hunter. How good they are, um, yeah. and that's not even the trackers from the tribe that you know have a oral tradition. These guys, they're phenomenal. And, and oh, those dudes are legit, oh, bro. It, I mean, everything I killed, it, you know, I downed where there was no tracking needed. But I've mm-hmm. seen other clients shoot gut shot stuff, and these guys go all night, you know, without dogs. I mean, just and find this thing, and it's like, how? Well, he's laboring right here. I'm like, I see 15 tracks, and two are wilderbeest, and one, and the other 10, I have no idea what they are. I mean, I they're, know, they're just so good at what they do, and I've I've seen a few videos posted where guys are doing it, um, you know, that that staring down the Cape Buffalo thing. Mm-hmm. And talk to some other PHs that I, I still maintain contact with, and, the, and it's kind of a, a ethics thing. They're, they're, they were really not impressed with it. Yeah. Like, there's no reason to put yourself or somebody else in that situation. 
Um, I mean, yeah, brass clackers, but yeah, if you don't have to, what's what's the point? Yeah, I think um, one of the ones I saw, they had wounded one, and it run off into the bush. And that's when it gets, like, super, super sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, now all you've done is piss it off. Mm-hmm. And he wants to grind you into the ground. I mean, Good luck with that. And you're launching <laughs> pumpkins out of a, you know, 454 K-skull. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I did see in one of your uh, your pictures that someone killed a turkey in Iraq. <laughs> How'd that happen? Uh, you know, I've got the Grand Slam completed last year, but now it's a it's a Grand Slam with an asterisk. Um, <laughs> I didn't even know they had them over there. I mean, they're 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 farm birds, but I mean, yeah. they're they're wildish. I mean, they're they're running around everywhere. Uh, all mm-hmm. the farmers have them. I mean, they're not. They're, they're not in enclosures or anything, um, and you know I, when I first saw them, I, I bothered my squad leader every day. I was like, "Hey, can I shoot a turkey today?" No, <laughs> this is livestock. Essentially, yeah. this is owned by someone. I mean, it'd be like walking up and shooting a cow financially to the to yeah. this farmer. Yeah. So, hey, can I shoot a turkey today? No. And finally, we went on a patrol that we were some distance away from the, the patrol base, and we didn't have any supervision. <laughs> it's usually when that happens. And right? I said, hey, can I shoot a turkey today? And he goes, if you'll shut up about it, you can shoot a turkey today. And he goes, but you got to go ask the farmer. And I, I went to Arabic school uh, prior to deploying, so I had enough uh-huh. to, to get by. And I explained to this guy, I said, look, I, I want to shoot your turkey I'll pay you for it, and you can keep it. Because, I mean, I was getting the feeling that they were worried about not having the, right. you know, the sustenance from it. Uh-huh. And he goes, he looks at me like with the most blank, perplexed ex- expression, and he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the catch. It, I mean, kosher and halal food it has to be blessed before it dies while they're bloodletting it. So we have to somehow get this turkey, but not kill it. (laughs) Okay. So our game plan is let's shoot it with a buckshot in the chest. (laughs) So my buddy shoots it, and it does nothing. I mean, we were far enough away. We were kind of like trying to figure it out, you know, ballistic-wise. Right. It does nothing except for piss this thing off, because our plan was to grab it and then run it back to... we're 300 yards from the house or from the farmhouse now. while it's flopping. <laughs> yeah. So he shoots this thing and now it's just, <laughs> so I ran up and I stabbed the thing <laughs> with a bayonet Oh my god! and I run it back to the farmhouse as him and all his children are standing there looking at us appalled and I flop it down in front of it and he Allah Akbar's it and Good to go. <laughs> it, I give him twenty bucks, and we fan out the turkey and take a picture. And that was man, that was one of the ones that I had to go. I was looking at your stuff, and I was I had to back. I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I had to backtrack. I had to hit the brakes and backtrack a little bit. That's funny. So man. I have the uh, uh, you know Eastern Rio, Miriam's Osceola, and a. Uh, Iraqi, a, a, Babylon, a Babylonian turkey. 
Is that what it is? I don't know. It's it's a farm. Who dirty. knows? Yeah. Where where do you want to go that you haven't been to yet? New Zealand. Hundred percent New doubt. Zealand. Um, no doubt. My wife and I haven't taken a honeymoon yet. You know, with her being ready yeah. to pop this boy out um, <laughs> in two days, and yeah. uh, once all that kind of slows down. Um, I'd like to get her on a trip, and I think that's where we'll go. A red stag and a uh, Himalayan tar has always caught my eye. Yeah. yeah. And if I can do it, if, if I mean, I'll look at when their seasons are best, when the, the tar, the coat on the tar is the best. But they got mm-hmm. some ducks down there that we don't got either. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hey, you know what I wanted to ask you though? When Africa, what was your what was your favorite thing to eat there? Because I've heard that Elon is like off the chart good. I would. And I was just wondering. It's it's tough to beat any African plains game, any of the the, the antelope species. Elon Elon is phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. Zebra's phenomenal. Sable, Gemsbuck. I mean, mm-hmm. all that is so good. Um, the only African species that I have had that tops all of that um, is now you can shoot them in Texas. Uh, they're free range in some spots. Uh, Scimitar horned oryx is is top notch for me. Really? Oh, it, it is. Uh, you could sit me down at a Ruth Chris Steakhouse and they could have their top chef cook a fillet perfectly and. If they set a grill up next to it and said you can cut, you know, grill up the scimitar backstrap yourself, or this guy cooks for you, I'd be like, "Sorry, pal, going with the scimitar." Wow, I'd never heard that. And they're they're, always, they're badass. Trying animals. to learn something new, man. Yeah, that the only species that's in my top five uh, that seems to be always interchanging uh, that isn't African game. Uh, well, only two axis steers in my top five, but that's from India and Sandhill Crane mm. in a cast iron oven finished. It yeah, cannot man. be beat. Roger that. Roger that. Um, talk about talk about your backcountry team on pursuit and how did that happen and take us take us through that whole thing. So we got to we got to go back to Texas with Patrick. So Patrick's from Michigan. Patrick Hunt Cummings. Um, he had been picked up with a team, and they were kind of building this team up. Um, Jeremy Walker had started it. He's now our executive producer. He's uh, just got out of the Marine Corps himself. Um, so he's in Virginia now. Um, and then Paul Wilson, uh, who a lot of people might know, he's a uh, Ted Nugent's ranch manager in Michigan. Um, Paul does a lot of booking, so he's got a lot of good stuff for us uh, all over the country as well. I do a lot of hunts with Paul. Um, mm-hmm. And it started putting the pieces together, um, went down to Texas, never even used that footage, which probably is a good thing, uh, from the Rios, um, but just started bouncing around filming. And we got in with Pursuit Channel uh, on a show called The Den, Um with the the bear whisperer Blaine Anthony as the um, the host, so there's four teams competing, and we turned in raw footage, um, and they cut it, critiqued it, 
and you know they said it was close, but before teams competing, that explain if no one has seen that show. What what how is what's the format there? Competing for what? Well, the the winner gets one season uh, of airtime paid for. Mm-hmm. So so it's a competition. Yeah. So I mean it, it's it's based off the judges, and it based off uh, viewer voting. Um, and, you know, it was pretty obvious to me. We, we I mean we beat the brakes off the other the other teams. Um, but that being said, we were still very 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 amateurish. It was we'd show up like well I'll film it and see what we get out of it. I mean there was no planning. There was no scripting, and and when I say scripting, it's not you're not scripting what people say. Everything is still very raw. It, it, you're scripting how we're going to film this, because um, right. shot list. Yes, shot list. Um, yeah, we didn't have any of that, and so w- we win. Hmm, neither did we. And <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's like now what? So we we have this airtime, and. We sat down as a team. We're like, you know, this is our shot. Yeah, you won, but what'd you win? You won. You beat three other amateur teams. We have a shot to do something awesome with this. So we air coming up here. I think next week or the week after. We brought in a guy that I happen to have grown up with. Uh, Josh Stabenow is his name, and he's filmed for Boondock Nation, the uh, which is an extreme snowmobiling show. Um, he's Emmy nominated, and Josh is a consummate professional with tons of knowledge and he sets a standard and mm-hmm. you better be ready to follow or you're getting cut. And if you're not producing mm-hmm. the content the way it's supposed to be produced, you're, you're not going to make it. So we brought Josh into film and he's the, the planning process. I mean, Every moving part is involved in conference calls and outlining, and we're done being the cookie-cutter hunting show that says, hey, I'm hunting mule deer in North Dakota. There's a mule deer. Pow. Here's me talking with it dead. End of story. That's boring. No story. That that isn't – that is not – that's filming. That's not videography. And we're taking it a step for further. You know, we're filmmakers and storytellers, and everything we're doing has a much larger, larger topic to to cover, um, or just people that are interesting that have a story. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think we're going to shake it up pretty good here when it airs. Uh, I'm betting that we'll be signed for season what is essentially season three. Um, mm-hmm. Just based off what we have right now, I mean, yeah, a lot of people don't realize what goes into, you know, because we were kind of in the same boat. Brian and I filmed for a couple of years, just waterfowl, um, before we really knew what we wanted to do with it. And then once we figured out what we wanted to do, I mean, passion of pursuit wasn't even a thing yet. And once we figured out what we wanted to do. Um, we went back and looked, and all the stuff that we had shot before, we couldn't use it because that's not the way Brian filmed it. Mm-hmm. So um, you have to film with an end goal in mind. And that, that being said, we use a lot of B-roll um, because I think 
that's one thing that you can script or stage depending on the story that you want to tell is is the b-roll um but that's that's about it we do a lot of voiceover with a lot of supporting b-roll for that reason it's exactly what you said is there's a story about someone or something that happened and it doesn't always involve pulling a trigger or letting an arrow go um and your job as a as a filmmaker, is to bring the audience into that story and make them feel like they were there. There's nothing captivating about shooting a deer over a pile of corn and going, yeah, we're here with our good buddy Jim Bob, who we just met. That's how good of buddies we are. We didn't know him before we pulled up and paid to go on this hunt. And, you know, Brian actually talked a lot about that in our first podcast, um, about how um, disappointing it is when you get into the industry, kind of being a fan of, of outdoor television, uh, and then you figure out how it's really done. Yes. <laughs> um, it's, it's really a letdown. So we, we talked a lot about that. Um, we talked a lot about that in our first podcast that we did uh, because he filmed for um, Heartland Bowhunter is where he kind of got his start. Oh, they're phenomenal. Yeah, so, yeah. so a lot of the stuff that um, – a lot of the, I'm going to say a lot, I don't know how much, but um, a good bit of stuff that goes on at HB, um, Brian had a hand in and learned a lot from those guys. So, but you know, one thing that he struggled with, and I was going to ask you, is kind of coming up with your own signature style or look and feel to your work um, because you kind of gravitate to the people that you really like. Like, man, I like how he framed this and I like how you know, he color corrected that or, um, and you like it so much that your stuff starts to look like somebody else's. That's what he talked about kind of struggling with. And I was wondering, did you, did you struggle with that any, or did you, you know, Well, I, I think there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with emulating people mm-hmm. that, you know, the only time I actually watch shows is when I'm kind of critiquing it or looking for something like, Hey, I like that. Um, yeah, I've always been kind of left-brained enough to know what I want to do, but I, I I have no problem with, with with looking at somebody that's done something in a in a different light and said you know that that's top notch and being able to oh, yeah. to incorporate that into uh, how we do it. You know, Josh is very different from the way I film, mm-hmm. but Josh's yeah. end product, he, he, he's producing results so i have to told the lines the wrong the wrong uh phrase it's more i have to film to his standard Mm -hmm. and it's tough because i'm i'm it 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 makes it a job and and that's okay too It, it as long as you don't lose the fun aspect of it and it right you'll work with a lot of people that okay you know come film the show or they want you to come film and then you're telling them like this is how we have to do it. Oh no, no, no we don't got time for that. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm not going to turn a crap product. Yeah. You know, if you want this done the way that what we put out there, then you're. I will not right. dictate the hunt. I will not. I will not ever call into question the way you set up the decoys, whatever you do, or the, the, the where you drop dogs. It, it, that's on you. Mm-hmm. But if I say there's something that has to be done for production value, 
you got to listen or you're not going to get the product and I'm not going to I am not going to put something out that that doesn't have it so to say that it, that doesn't meet that standard but stay in your lane bro yeah watch your own bobber <laughs> that's my favorite one now yeah watch your own bobber that's um in and so that's another thing that we talked about is um you know, sometimes the guys that we hunt with, because we, we go all over the place, um, and I, I, I'm guessing you've seen some of our stuff, but yeah. um, the hard thing is is to say, okay, it, it may be shooting light, but it ain't good filming light. So it doesn't do us any good if we whack 50 before we get good shooting light. Mm-hmm. So you got to let these land, or we need – we need footage of we need good slow mo high frame rate footage of mallards hitting the water like backpedaling and hitting the water and you try to tell a blind full of guys that <laughs> we got to let these go and like we got to do what so we got to let them go and it's hot man and so we've gotten kind of through that now with the team of guys that we kind of go all over the place with. They know that we are not there to hunt. We're there to make a film about hunting. And you got to be down with that um, because there's times where we're going to call birds in through the trees. I mean, I love hunting flooded timber. I just love, 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 love it. And we're going to call birds in through the trees and you got to let them go. And some guys can just can't get down with that. But we had the conversation early and we revisited the conversation often that we are making a film about hunting. We are not here to our first priority is not pulling the trigger. Our first priority is getting the footage that we need for sponsors that pay you to get this content for them. And so a lot of times we'll we'll plan one extra day, um, Usually it's the first day, so you don't spook everything out of the area. Um, but we'll have one whole day where we try to really not pull the trigger at all, just work birds and let them do what they're going to do. And it usually winds up that we have a, a good you know, second, third, and fourth day after that because you can kind of figure out what they want to do mm-hmm. without, without busting them. But, dude, to your point, yeah, it's um, – Guys think that you just show up with a camera and everything just magically happens, and they that's they just don't get what goes into the production of short films. Oh, Danny, mean, it's 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 like when somebody wants me to edit their footage for them. I, I mean, I can do Ugh. cool stuff. No. A, I didn't see it happen, so I don't have a creative vision already to pl- working in my head. Like the the plot unfolds as I'm filming, and. Mm-hmm. I already know where stuff is, but the uh, guys will hand it me like, make this look cool. And I'll no. <laughs> yeah. How much money you got? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Cause it, it, it's just not what I need. Um, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's been cool to, to, to win and then raise the bar and then see where we go from here. I mean, I, Oh, you got to keep raising it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, if you're not thirsty and you don't have people, you know, the, the lion at the top of the mountain is not hungry anymore. Right. That's deep, bro. <laughs> the, 
did anything happen like with your network experience that uh, you weren't expecting? Um, how so? I mean, like, no, well, just how the whole network TV thing works. Because we were exposed to that a little, and we chose to go a different way. I mean, there there was stuff, um, you know, without throwing anybody under the bus that they didn't like we had a massive i mean probably the best tornado i've ever seen a snow geese and i mean just just do it dirty i mean just it was just it was nasty it was unbelievable and the guys went nuts after they shot and it was hooting and hollering and mm. i am not a rah-rah killer um that's not my style but i could see you know this line of 12 layup lines they just saw one of the coolest things i've ever seen hunting and they were excited and their clients too um mm-hmm. you know it, it, and they did want to air that and i was like okay you know like all right you know like it's your network it's your rules and i get that the in your face stuff is it can be too much and guys that are that are the rah-rah type that are the yeah they're like uh, but I thought it was just pure elation, and you know they they set what what they want to air, and that and that was cool. You know we used it for something else. Yeah. Did they give you a lot of um, restrictions or guidelines, like so many seconds or minutes of this, and then so many seconds? No, minutes none of that, of that was dictated at all. Okay. Uh, and and now I mean we've basically been given almost free reign on what we want to do. Um, mm-hmm. They gave us we won, and they gave us like a. Uh, Wednesday at 8 a.m. slot, and then we showed them what mm-hmm. we were doing, and they gave us Tuesday at 7 p.m. So like, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, we're we're not playing games. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize how expensive it is too. Oh no, <laughs> I tell my wife, and she's like, "You're not paying that." I'm like, "No," <laughs> but somebody has to. The lights wouldn't be on if we were paying it. Well, she's still worried about taxidermy bills, so. Yeah, well, don't let her listen to this. <laughs> she knows. I'll have to edit this. You know, I'll have to edit this part. Oh, that's all free. That was with the cost of whatever. Um. So that is leading us to talk about your solo pursuits with Off the Grid, and and I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about the nonprofit stuff that you do before we wrap up because I think that's super important. Well, they're they're kind of tied together. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm always out taking pictures. You know. Uh, Especially now, we got ducks coming, coming back that are all ready to breed, all plumed out. We got turkeys going nuts; they're starting to do a little strutting action. Um, you know, I, I sell prints, but it's kind of ho hum, whatever to me. It's more about capturing the beauty of it, and it's therapeutic for me. Um, but the the photography and the the videography are tied hand in hand. So, with with my Instagram. After doing a couple of these nonprofit hunts where I film essentially a promo, and we may film it for backcountry, but if I'm just filming it, then it's just a promo for the outfitter who is donating the hunt, for the vets, for the kid, or whoever's on the hunt. So they have something mm-hmm. to. It, it's amazing how much you grow organically when you take somebody on a hunt and you put them out there. 
and they have the ability now to share it with all their friends. I'm like, hey, look at this. I got to do this. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm still doing as many hunts as possible. And, and the, the outreach from, from new people has been great. We got a uh, duck hunting. No, we got doing cranes and cacklers in Texas um, for uh, four vets. Taking a three-time Purple Heart on a elk hunt in mm. October in Idaho. Um, we've got uh, the vet stuck hunt in October. Um, I'm taking a kid um, from North Carolina on a hog hunt in South Carolina. Uh, and then we have a, a girl that uh, she just beat leukemia. Now she's got a brain tumor, which is cancerous, and she wants to kill an antelope. So mm. we're taking her on an antelope hunt, and then I'm working with the guys out in uh, Maine. We're trying to get a vet hunt going on for some common eiders. So, I mean, that's the type of stuff we're doing. I film it, put together something and, that they can put out and share. The outfitter gets to to use that for their own content, and right. it's just been word of mouth via social media. Yeah, I think one of the first ones I saw was that king eider hunt you had. Oh. <laughs> Dude. First of all, you're in the Arctic Ocean. Well, yeah, right? <laughs> the Bering Sea. The ba- Yeah, I'm sorry. The Bering Sea. And a boat that looked like a 12-foot flatboat. It's a, it's a <laughs> glorified dinghy. That whole hunt was crazy. Um, Patrick got me hooked up with that as well. So uh, Patrick had was in contact with a fellow guide from Michigan, Jeremy Ullman, um, who does waterfall and stuff there. But Jeremy had guided in on St. Paul Island, um, which is three three-hour flight from the mainland into the middle of Bering Sea out of Alaska. And he was opening up his inaugural season of King Eider Adventures. So he wanted somebody to come film it and get him all the, you know, the, same thing we talked about before. All the media, mm-hmm. all the promotional materials, and a video. So I called him, and we worked a deal. And not only was I going to film a hunt that, you know, what, five people have filmed? <laughs> Six people? Uh, right. Getting to film something that, that's that rare, that interesting, that extreme of a hunt. And I get to shoot my King Eiders and my Harlequins. And got an... Uh, arctic blue fox out of the deal too we ended up shooting one night um mm. <laughs> so we went i think uh, new year's day uh one of the guys i hunt with around here uh I, I got him a price since it's his first season i said hey you know you're never going to get this cheaper than this he, he needs mm-hmm. clients he needs to build business he's like i'm in i'm in i'm absolutely in so me and kyle fly from milwaukee to seattle to anchorage mind you i'm in my waders the entire time (laughs) for real i've got pictures on the plane i've got pictures yes so when you get to anchorage (laughs) the plane coming from anchorage to st paul island is not put it this way when our plane landed I had Kyle watch all my stuff, and I ran to the other side of the windows of the airport to take a picture of a plane that we were not getting on to send that to my wife for her peace of mind saying, hey, this is our plane. (laughs) (laughs) So this twin prop lands. 
She's going to learn so oh, much. She knows. She's, she's an absolute <laughs> saint. Um, so this twin prop, only 60% of the gears that is scheduled to go on the plane makes it because um, whether it's stuff coming off the island, like mm-hmm. some of the gear didn't come back because uh, an uh, islander had died. So that's priority to, to ship mm-hmm. that out. Um, any food that needs supplies that need to go to the to the the Aleuts, that bumps everything but your gun is your gun is guaranteed because of federal flight laws. All right. So Kyle's got all his he's got his uh, you know his waiters and his parka and all his stuff in his carry on. Well, I've got forty grand worth of camera gear that has to be in my carry on because I am not. Yep. Putting, I'm not checking that on any plane. Roger that. So I don't have that option. So I went through TSA. <laughs> I mean, looking like Duck Dynasty. <laughs> Dude, I could just have a picture of it, man, in my head. <laughs> well, it was funny because there's a in Milwaukee going through. There's a African American gentleman that was behind me, and he gave me oh. this look. And I looked at him. I said, "I know that's some real white people shit, isn't it?" <laughs> And me and him had like just the best laugh over it. He's like, man, he's like, you're something else. So that that looked like just a hardcore, no pansies allowed hunt. It it one of the most dangerous things I've ever done in my life. Not that you know, Jeremy and and his crew aren't you know, completely safe and, and, and capable and knowledgeable of, of navigating that waterway. It's just, it, the pucker factor is high. Um, mm. when you come out of the chute, uh, you come out of the break wall into, from the, the Harbor there, they call it the washing machine. And it, 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 it that description is very good because you're shooting through and those rubber rafts actually handle the waves a lot better because you got, you got to ride a crest of a wave then ride down it or then ride another crest just to get out because you're, you're rolling with, you know, 20 foot plus breakers. I mean, now you got to keep a camera dry and not die. <laughs> yeah. Well, how big of a boat did y'all head out? There? I think it was 12 or 13. Um, but I mean, it's, it's still, you got three guys and decoys and wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. A twelve or thirteen foot boat, you're going out in those breakers. Yep. <laughs> we were there six days and we only got out two. Whiskey, tango, <laughs> foxtrot. When you, I mean, I kissed the ground in Maine when I landed from uh, Iraq, but you got yeah. back to the boat launch. You're like, all right, we didn't die today. Oh. <laughs> and God. the first day, we went out and we got through the break wall, and. We didn't do very well shooting it. it, it, it the weather is really weird. And then it, the storm came in, so we had to beat... The, I mean, even the other outfits were heading back in. So we headed back in, and I called home right away. So not thinking that her expectation would be I would be home at this time the next day with with the time oh, okay, zones. I got you. So yeah. we look at the weather, and most of the filming was all done on one day. We happened to get a bluebird day. I mean, it was the only one the entire time we were there. I mean, I crashed the drone several times from flying around by the the, the living quarters. I mean, it was just, it's Mm -hmm. that windy. 
Mm-hmm. So we go out the second day, and it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful day. And I said to him, I said, look, I said, you know, I know the birds are slowing down here a little bit. I mean, we'd already shot, you know, the Kyle got his limit already. Pat's starting to shoot his own. Jeremy had shot one. I had shot a couple. I said, I think we need to stay out here and utilize this because we don't know what the weather's going to be like tomorrow or the next day and just get stack as many clips as possible and stack as many birds as possible while we can. So we stayed out all day. And the day before, we'd been out for three hours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So my wife is calling Pat's wife. And she's like, I don't know, but his his GPS says he's in the middle of the ocean, and they're both freaking out. And we come back, oh, and we, we stayed out all day. <laughs> and she was she was not yeah. pleased. Yeah, my wife's got a seventy two hour rule. If you don't hear from me in seventy two <laughs> hours, then panic. And I mean, she she knew how dangerous it is, yeah. and it, it's it's not that it's dangerous. It's that if something goes wrong, then it gets dangerous fast. I mean, that, that yeah. water is unforgiving. No, absolutely. I mean, watch Deadliest Catch. You'll see that. Well, the the day we left, a boat went down right off the, the sh- uh, not off the island, but off the Aleutians on its way to the island. Everybody on board, dead. Yeah, I mean, if you're not in a survival suit, you are dead. There, there's no treading water until the Coast Guard finds you. That's it. But Kyle says to me, and as we're flying in, you're looking down. He's like, what happens if we crash? I just looked at him like, wow, we die. <laughs> you know, like, Pretty much. It. I mean, it, it's it's the most extreme hunt I've ever been on. It was worth every penny that you know anybody would pay to go do this. Um, and it, it's the pinnacle of waterfall to me, just because of the beauty of the bird and the the challenging conditions, mm-hmm. and even hunting from shore. I mean, you're just getting rocked. Sea spray. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You can't you can't have dogs on the island because uh, no. it's a seal breeding ground. So oh. there, it's kind of a, a, a moral and ethics thing. So you sit mm. you sit in the rocks and you shoot a bird and do everything you can to recover that. But if the you know the 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 current switches, guess what? You're done for the day. If if the current switches to where they're not going to wash up against the shore you're done Mm -hmm. unload sorry it's just the way it is so there's no boat going out there to get them no you you can't (laughs) you can't get the boat out of the harbor if you're hunting from shore it it means you can't get the boat out of the harbor oh man why such a small boat dude It, it it handles the waves better when you're on the crests because it's an agility factor. You got to, and this is a Navy guy asking <laughs> you that. That's used to boats, okay? Right? So, it, it, I I was I saw skeptical. that video, and I'm like, yeah. Well, I saw that video, and I'm like, surely there's like a 32 footer backing them up or nope. something because they're not. No, nope, that's Ooh, it. Yeah. I mean, you got two boats. I mean, there's two boats going out. So, I mean, at least if you yeah. have malfunction with one of the boats, you've, you've at least can stack the guys in there and get yeah, them. Yeah, I would say you have to have two because if you have engine problems, the next shoreline's Russia. Um, well, even they'll pick you up. Even <laughs> hunting uh, long tails and scoters on you know uh, Lake Michigan or or on uh, Lake Huron, we, we take we have a bass boat that hauls all the layout boats, and we've yeah. got two other boats. We got a tender boat and then one other boat that 
their only job is to sit there because mm-hmm. you're 13 miles out and nobody's coming to get you in time. Yeah. And I just don't know. I mean, like, Brian and I have some pretty cool adventures. One, one of them is still up in the air, but even when it's finished, I, I can't talk about it until we get – well, I can't talk about it on the air. I can tell you when we get off. But um, it's super dangerous, and not – it's the location that's dangerous, not the water. I, like, I don't think there is much water where I'm talking about No, I'm about intrigued. That. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you when we um, – but the like, I can't picture bringing an eighty thousand dollar red camera out into the Bering Sea and seeing it getting wet. It, I, I used, uh, which is now my backup camera. Um, it, but the, my wife just bought me a, a Nikon D eight fifty, and I, I wouldn't have used it. I, I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. It, there was, it, there was just. It, I spent three quarters of the day drying my camera. You're going to get wet. There's I mean, no there's question. Just no two ways about it. I mean, in the YouTube video I put out, um, I mean, Patrick was so candid. He's like, you're going to get wet. You're going to be miserable. <laughs> but you're going to go home with the most beautiful duck that you can possibly shoot. And I mean, I was like, when he said that, I was like, oh, gold. <laughs> you know, like, that's yeah. it. That, that, that cat that captured the whole. Yeah, I remember him saying that. <laughs> and he's usually just, I mean, just. In your face, and I was like, "Man, you." I was like, "That was good. That was that was good." But mm. well, where do you see, um, like, before we wrap up, where off the grid in three to five years? Where do you see? What do you see happening there? I, I am gonna get to the point where I'm already getting there. Uh, that I mean, I'm booking out a year ahead of time. Mm-hmm. What is cool now is that some of the guys I've run hunts with are starting to do the same thing I'm doing. Like, not necessarily a chapter. Mm-hmm. That the, the girl with the, the brain tumor. Mm-hmm. The guys I ran the mountain lion hunt with for a Marine vet, uh, Purple Heart from Texas. They're, the girl and her dad are flying into Colorado, flying into Denver. They're driving her up to Wyoming. They're running the hunt because I'm booked already. Hmm. I mean that that's where I want to get to the point where like people that have done a hunt for someone else, especially, you know, somebody that was wounded or or, or a kid in need or just kids in general or a new hunter will get it. Once you've done that, yeah. you realize you take more away from that than any trigger you ever pulled yourself. It's more rewarding and the relationships that are built that that's what off the grid is. It's building relationships with people that are like-minded, that are good hunters, that want to share and want to create something where everybody involved feels like they're part of something big. Yeah. On that note, man, did we not, what did, what did we, let's wrap up. What did we not talk about? Do you want, did we get to everything? Not that, I think we covered just about everything. <laughs> we covered a lot of it, man. I'll tell you what I'd like to do. When you start seeing ducks and geese getting crazy in, in Wisconsin, um, you've got my number. You're welcome to come up. We uh, we shoot. Uh, the, Kyle's part of a group um, called Call and Fall Waterfallers. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny how, how that played out, too. So I, I had moved from Milwaukee to the Green Bay area. 
And my wife's friend said, hey, you know, why don't you get a hold of my stepbrother? Those guys like to shoot ducks. And he's like, I think they're sponsored by Drake. And I was like, well, you know, if, if they got a Drake sponsorship, it, it means they're good hunters. I mean, they're not going to give that to anybody. And so I called the guy up and said, hey, look, just move to the area. I don't want to be knocking on the same doors you are and stepping on your toes. Why don't we hunt early goose together and see how it goes? And by the way, I'll film it. I'm like, I don't even care if I shoot. I just want to, you know, put something together for you guys and see how we work together. And I'm 37. I feel like I'm 50. <laughs> I'm 50 and I feel like it. And uh, I show up at the field and everybody's 20 and 21. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Which it, it's it's not a big deal. It's just I, completely not what I was expecting. And I, I know that feeling <laughs> when I show up and everybody's thirty five. I'm like, oh boy. And <laughs> you know, I, I kind of had a negative opinion of the the millennial, so to say. Right. And these fellas grind, and they grind, and they grind. And you know, when I'm telling them, "Hey, set up the decoys again, put them in a pile. I want to get this shot." never complain uh they're good dudes there's they're gonna do a vets hunt i'm getting them involved um you know they're 21 years old and they're and they're big time members of, they're not just du members i mean they're involved and it, it's been a just a really cool to work with them but these dudes are goose killing fools i mean we will we'll stack limits and they've got access to every field you can possibly imagine and it's nice it, you know they know i'm the only one with kids so they're like hey you know be at the field at 4 30 and we're gonna start shooting at 4 30 we'll be all set up you got a blind set up you can pop in start filming and it, it, they're just awesome dudes uh they yeah. become good friends and i feel like the i feel <laughs> they start calling me gramps and i was like all right all right i see how it is well, I ain't going on that trip. <laughs> no, they, they 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 have a blast, and they're 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 just cool dudes. No, that'd be awesome. But we uh, we're real fortunate, man. A lot of the guys that we have on the podcast, we get to hook up and just you know be a part of each other's lives. Eventually, one way or the other. So that that and have you ever shot? I'm sure you shot flooded too. I uh, did the uh, Bayou Mito in uh, Arkansas. Yeah, don't say it like that when you're down there. <laughs> You gotta say bye, me. Um, I'm, everywhere I go in the South, I'm, oh Yankees boys here again. I'm like, all right, come on, I don't call you Johnny Rebel, do I? <laughs> what did you think of Bamita? The rat race, the hunt. Oh my I mean, god, dude! I won't. He, do it he, them fellas play for keeps. I mean, <laughs> we, we got in. We we beat the guys to our spot. I was watching guys shove you know right up on somebody else's prop shove guys into a tree and just to, to get to the spot we get to our spot and we're sitting there and we still got a 45 minutes or whatever to before we can even throw decoys and i hear mm -hmm. a bunch of yelling and cursing and then shooting and then some more cursing and i looked at my buddy andy who's from down there and i said those guys just shoot at each other over a spot and he goes welcome to arkansas bubba mm. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, it's funny, man. It, it it seems like everybody tries to rush to get to the blue line mm -hmm. there. And, man, some of the best spots are the walking mm -hmm. spots that nobody goes to. <laughs> like, y'all can have it, man. 
It was. It was because if it's a just an, if it comes down to a foot race, you're not going to beat me. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> it was just a, a cool experience to see. I mean, I was explaining to my wife. I was like, if you can shoot ducks, you can have no teeth, and you'll score women down here. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's the yeah. that's the measuring stick right there. Yeah, yeah. But there's there's just something about watching a big group of greenheads just break down. Oh, it, it's do their thing. The the first group that came in, I didn't even shoot. I was just my mouth was open. I was like, I'm really doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't. You got you got to tell them, hey, bro, pull the trigger. So, but that it it's gotten that place has gotten pretty crazy. Um, you know, spot we go to in Mississippi, it's a lot of it. The best spots are walk in only, mm-hmm. and I tend to go a lot further and deeper than anybody else will, mainly because the ducks are there, but also because you're not going to outwork me. Mm-hmm. There's, there's just you're just not. I mean, if it's if it comes down to boot leather and walking to get to a place and walking some more and walking some more you know our first episode of season one we filmed in that public swamp and uh it's a 1.7 walk in and a 1.7 walk out and that's one of the lighter walks Oof. um now it's you're not you know you're not walking in water you're walking along the sides of sloughs and then when you get to where you want to hunt you kind of walk in but you're still packing a shitload of gear and you're still flat out damn near running in some places so that people don't get your spot um and it's just getting worse and worse because you can get there and be there and somebody's going to come stand next to you (laughs) you know a hundred yards from you like bro just come hunt with us so that we don't screw each other up you know that's that's i stopped hunting big water around here on opening day because it's just I'll, I'll, i'll go tuesday I have that luxury too, but like opening day on a Saturday up here, you got guys who no park the boat next to you, but that's going to get cozy in here, fellas. No, it's not. <laughs> You're going to get wet mm-hmm. here in a minute. That's <laughs> right. You reach over and pull the plug out of their boat. <laughs> See you later. Well, that's good, man. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, Me too. Ryan. Me too. Um, it's a. Uh, Always learn something new and just love having guys like you on. And uh, let's just make sure we get together and share a share a layout blind spot or two as we come up. To next you want to come shoot uh, some, some long tails on, uh, on the big lakes up here? We got them too. Oh, yeah. I've never done that. It, it, okay, that's what we're doing. That was our discussion with... Ryan the Buddha Bodwin, a talented, creative, and storyteller, a savage Marine Corps combat veteran, and a super great dude. I hope we can get together and share some stories and shotgun shells this fall. You all check out his Instagram page and website in the show notes. Show him some love. Uh, we again want to thank our show sponsor, Tangle Free Waterfowl. Remember to go to tanglefree.com. Enter the promo code PASSION, P A S S I O N, PASSION at checkout. You'll get free shipping on everything site-wide. And finally, don't forget to click the subscribe button on whichever service you use to listen to our podcast. We appreciate it. You guys know that that's what helps us climb the ratings chart, so we thank you in advance for uh, subscribing to the show. Uh, Stay tuned for our next episode, and until then, thanks for joining us. Bye-bye, y'all.